head in a glass case of emotion. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. You have the good God ideas. Ah, uh, you unzipped me. It's all coming back. It's all coming back. I hate you. It's all coming back, you understand? I don't like it. I don't like to think about it. With a plastic bag for a helmet. Oh, oh, oh you unzipped me. Oh, oh. And welcome back once again to the Gag Reel Podcast. The GRP. The very unnecessary and unasked for podcast about comedy movies and comedy TV shows. I am your host, Ryan Scanlon, and I'm joined, per usual, by my brother, Will. What's going on? And my sister, Rebecca. Hiya! And yeah, I'm pretty pumped to be talking about a movie again. It's been quite a a couple of months since we recorded last, just due to life, things getting in the way. I I, I made a silly mistake of, like, taking on this, this short film to edit for some folks, which has been really fun, but, like has eaten up a ton of my time, and yeah, just a million other things keep getting in the way of talking about comedy movies like like I should be. What's I new? you should be. I tell you what, I le- if I had to learn anything in the past few months, I've learned one lesson. Mm. It's good to be king. dawn of man to the magnificence of the Bible. The Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15, 10, 10 commandments. From the glory that was Rome uh, to the dark evils of the Spanish Inquisition. The Inquisition, what a show. We know you're wishing that we go away. Mel Brooks, History of the World, Part One. Ten million years in the making. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Mel Brooks, yeah. The guy who brought you the producers, Young Frankenstein, Spaceballs, and Blazing Saddles. And now I am proud to present the long-anticipated follow-up to my film, History of the World, Part One. We're calling it History of the World, Part Two. History of the World, Part Two. Part Two. Part Two. Part Two. If this was on Netfish, I would cancel my subscription. I guess let's go chronologically yeah um and uh yeah this one uh mild association with um i remember as a kid it was on tv once and we and like we flipped to it for maybe half an hour Mm -hmm. of the movie but that's about it i i didn't really have much association with it I, i watched it as an adult at some point and um forgot about it again Mm -hmm. right after watching and uh, so, yeah, it's not like one of those beloved films of Mr. Brooks that I'm, I'm, you know, like hearkening back to. There's a couple scenes that pop into my head when I think about it. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that movie with that scene. <laughs> but like it's it was never like one of those. Yeah, I feel like I, I have blurry memories of, of, of attempting to watch it when I was younger. 
But now that I've you know sat down as an adult and watched it all the way through, I definitely see why as a kid this didn't really appeal to me. And, it, yeah. and even as an adult, like full, I, I, I I'm not gonna say like I didn't enjoy it at all. I think there was a lot of fun bits to talk about, and its place within Brooks's career is really interesting to me. And a lot of like the people he brought onto it, it it's fun to see them all working together. But I, I feel like a lot of um, these bits aren't as cartoonish. They're not as uh, as obvious. They're not as um, and a lot of the humor is a bit more adult focused. It's not as broad as a handful of his other ones. So I don't think it's my most recommendable Mel Brooks movie. But I'm really happy that I kind of watched it to get a feel for uh, you know what what he was doing in between the mega hits and then the more. Kind of, because I, I feel like, you know, people talk about the producers, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, and then people talk about Spaceballs and Robin Hood Men in Tights and stuff. And there's little sprinklings in between, but um, this like early 80s, late 70s era of Brooks isn't as beloved. And so yeah. it's interesting to kind of chat about. When it comes to Brooks's blind spots, I haven't seen High Anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen... I did watch High Anxiety once, yeah. I haven't seen Dead and Loving It. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen... Um, yeah, I, this is this is probably the... I'm probably the outlier here. I have not sat through the entire uh, Robin Hood one. Okay. Men in Tights. I really only remember um, bits and pieces of that one, to be honest. Yeah. And then, like, most, you know, people who like plenty of Mel Brooks movies, I, I haven't seen Life Stinks, I don't think. Most have not seen. I'm pretty sure yeah, most I don't have think, not seen that one. I've never heard I of that I think that's title. one of the, the least recommended yeah, that Brooks one, movies. Yeah, that one's supposed to be the big stinker. That and like, a, what's it called? I, I remember watching Silent Movie once. I really enjoyed that one. I think that one, because it, it's such a kind of, because it's such an experiment, I feel like it uh, it's a little less beloved. I but, really enjoyed uh, that I one. Think I, was, it's, I was pleasantly surprised. Mm. But yeah, History of the World Part 1. Interesting little kind of um it feels it felt like the whole time like a throwback to me of his uh his days with Sid Caesar, his days of kind of doing more uh more stage comedy, more kind of, you know, what what I guess has now become like kind of late night kind of comedy now that the variety shows aren't really on the air. But this kind of like, you know, you're doing jokes for the room kind of style of comedy, this uh, this almost stage show. Yeah. Uh, level to it where it's more kind of just goofy performance based and kind of jabs at jabs at modern kind of society. He literally brought Sid Caesar in to you know do this kind of first Stone Man uh, whole section of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, who I thought was really funny at playing this kind of nonverbal you know caveman guy. I mean, he he made a career out of facial expressions, and that's what he was doing there. He was <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I was fun. That bounce was around. Fun. At a, at a lot of different bits in this movie, because it being like a sketch movie, that's the part. I mean, that that's kind of me you know, what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's the uh, we get a couple really fun sketches at the start. You get the caveman, mm-hmm. you get the Moses, you know, and then you know, caveman lasts maybe ten minutes. Moses half half a half a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then then you pop into the Roman Empire, which is a much for yeah, 50 larger minutes. Yeah, it's like a full it vignette. Just it's, keeps going. It's a it's a it's a long chunk of the movie. It's got some funny bits, but it's just it's like its own little mini movie, mm-hmm. yeah. and it tries to have the arc of a mini movie. I thought that that was well where the whole movie fell flat for me when they moved on. 
and Dutch did some more little bits. I love the Spanish Inquisition. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's anytime he throws in. That's the, I, I don't know what it is about the Brooks stuff when he throws in a musical bit, <laughs> like the 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 comedy. You know, goes up another you know three or four levels, and then it tries to you know bring back in the Roman stuff after after all that which is why i think why he wanted to set all that up like so that he could have a through line for the movie like that seems like that's his style of writing like doing the bookends of some sort adding like extra kind of throwaway bits making it so that at the end of the french revolution that you know our beloved characters from the roman empire can roll up and kind of have a have a cap to the movie Yeah. yeah i mean i get it i just uh yeah i guess there were moments in the movie where I, I was not laughing and just kind of waiting for it to uh, pick back up. I don't disagree. I did I, love his character in the Roman Empire section of the stand-up philosopher. Comicus? I, I think there were a lot of, yeah, a lot of kind of goofy bits there that he did. I thought did that was good. Um, but it I, was it was drawn out. You're not mm-hmm, wrong. Mm-hmm. I thought that was mostly there for just for him to bring in as many classic comedians as possible to show Mm. up in a cameo form yeah um and it had its moments you know like i thought definitely one of his grossest roles but i thought having a disgusting uh caesar played by dom de louise was pretty funny Mm -hmm. and uh madeline khan was great yeah yeah it's a shame this is i think their last role together uh if i'm not wrong really um question mark (laughs) might be worth double checking um well after this one, this was kind of the last hurrah for Mel Brooks's original crew that were in pretty much most of his movies up to that point. Um, Madeline Kahn, that was the last movie she did mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, um, with Harvey Corman. Mm-hmm. Marty Fel- Feldman wasn't even in this one, and he I mm-hmm. think he had already passed away by this point. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, along with some of the other people that, uh, they, it was like, the only person that came back after this, I believe, was Dom DeLuise, who played Pizza the Hut. That's right. In yeah. Spaceballs, which had an entirely new cast, and I wonder if that was him a- actively trying to bring on a new generation of comedians, because he brought in, for Spaceballs, people who were famous in the 80s or rising in popularity. Rick Moranis was just getting big. Uh-huh. John Candy was already a, a legend. Mm-hmm. And... um you know, it, it, I, I feel like that one was, you know, it had been, this was 81, his next movie was until 87, and so it was like a six-year gap, and he's like, I'm coming back, let me let me see who's risen in comedy since then, mm. rather than doing an old man throwback, let's yeah. bring up bring in all these old people. Which, like, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but that's kind of what this movie was, an old man throwback, <laughs> to be like, really, uh, to be really biting to it. Yeah, and... To be to be honest, I had to look up most of those people to f- to realize. Like, I mean, I I, I recognize Jackie Mason, sure, recognize yeah. Sid Caesar, Sid Caesar, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, for a lot of those comedians, like, I had to okay, what was they okay? So they were doing what their gimmick was. Okay, yeah. the guy that makes the popping sound in his mouth. Okay, that's what he's famous for. Okay, the guy who makes the the cross eyed. Okay, he did mm-hmm. that. You know, like, and so I kind of had to you know look up all these people that were comedy legends at the time and probably. An older generation watching this movie back when it came out in theaters was like, ah, I reckon, ah, there, there, <laughs> yeah, there he is, exactly. there's that guy, there's that guy. And that's kind of, yeah, one of the, I feel like the fun things about doing this podcast is just trying to kind of understand these generations of comedy. But this is very much like the signpost for a certain generation of comedy 
that like Brooks was a part of, but he transcended with his movies. But so many of these comedians sadly kind of didn't transcend on to the kind of next generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of locked in this moment that now we don't, at least I don't like kind of fully appreciate when I watch this. But yeah, there with the the cast that he picked for this, this was even supposed to have um, Richard Pryor, oh, like yeah, as Richard the kind Pryor of was supposed to be um, Gregory Hines' character. Yeah, the the Ethiopian slave Josephus. Mm-hmm. I'm Jewish. I'm telling you, call the temple, call the rabbi, call Samus Davis Jr. Call Samus. He'll vouch for me. He and I are tight. He knows. Jewish, huh? He missed. Um, also, John Cleese was supposed to be uh, Harvey Kerman's role. Oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah, but what what happened? Count de Monet, uh, tra- just uh, scheduling, scheduling, error, which yeah. would have been really interesting because although Marty Feldman had worked with many of the Pythons mm-hmm. and also worked with Brooks, Mel Brooks never had a single member of Money Python show up in, in, in any of his movies, Ooh. and that would have been yeah a really cool little crossover kind of thing. The yeah, the wacky wacky Britain meets wacky. Uh, Wacky America. It's a damn shame that that never happened. But, you know, maybe in uh, season two of, if they make it, season two of History of the World Part Two, <laughs> maybe we could still get something like that, you know? Yeah, that sounds uh, fun. Yeah, John Cleese is still around doing stuff. Eric Idle could play a really crazy caveman. Eric Idle definitely is still around being a goofball. Terry Gilliam, too, even though, like, this isn't really his thing anymore. But uh, Yeah, he's kind of gone crazy. But, yeah, that, that'd be... Really cool, which I think we should hop into what were our initial thoughts on watching this new series that's kind of taking this torch of this movie from 1981 and like, you know, bringing it into the modern streaming world and kind of, I feel like just as much as the movie History of the World Part 1 like represents a certain generation of comic performers, the the TV show kind of does too for all these like millennial performers, these like... Young Gen X slash, like, millennial, like, Nick Kroll, you know, uh, Wanda Sykes and all, all the team that put together the new TV show. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what you guys have seen of it. Yeah. We've been prepping for this episode for at least a month now, and I watched it all about a month ago. So <laughs> I'm with you on that. Yeah, a lot it, of it. it was spread throughout the month for me. But, so, yeah, uh, um, I thought I had... I had some thoughts. I really, really was enjoying it for probably the first two episodes. Really liked it. Mm-hmm. The next two episodes, it kind of started transforming into, you know, getting a better shape of where the the show was starting to go. And I was just more so intrigued by who was going to show up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, all right, wh- wh- who's the next uh, cameo gonna be? I'm intrigued. Yeah. yeah. And then by the end of it, I was kind of exhausted. Um, a lot of a lot of the one-off stuff was great Uh, and a lot of a lot of the ongoing stuff while funny kind of got too ongoing I thought um, I I I thought some of the things could have been like one-off sketches and I didn't understand why they kept bringing it back thought the Wanda Sykes thing was as Shirley was fun for a little while, and then it just kept on going with maybe one or two bits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought uh, George Wallace playing George Wallace was probably the funniest bit of the entire ongoing 70s sitcom thing. Mm-hmm. That was great. 
and then like little bits here and there, but mostly I just thought that kind of got stretched out. This surely, I was yeah. I was yeah. amused by the uh, the uh, the Jesus narrative and how uh, every time was a different. I think uh, that the Jesus one, yeah, it was definitely the most creative and had like some of the funniest character moments too. I questioned whether or not I enjoyed the first part of it because like, I just like Kirby enthusiasm or because the show was funny itself because it really was just Kirby enthusiasm with I, I love yeah Larry they're even David. having uh yeah uh, JB Smooth yeah they had JB Smooth they brought in um what's his name um Richard Kind too oh that's right yeah and uh yeah it was just yeah several cast members of Kirby Enthusiasm playing their characters I thought it worked so well it was really funny to see Nick Kroll as Larry David you know basically yeah honestly overall I started to just wonder like less about who was going to show up because almost everyone does and more it, it was it was almost more so of just like who who didn't pop in on this I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. i started to wonder it's like okay so okay so most of the states showed up so what about uh-huh. the rest of them and you know like uh th- then i started to start listing out in my head it's trying to find some sort of commonality between all these performers it's like okay so maybe it's just ucb alum but if that's the case where's amy poehler where's matt walsh that's true. Uh, yeah. and, they, and so then I was like, okay, so if it's not UCB, then I, I kept trying to find some sort of through line to figure out, you know, like the people that showed up yeah. in here. And, and I'm just thinking it was just anybody who was available is is the I only. I see that. Or like people that had connections with Kroll and, and Brooks, who it mm-hmm. seemed like were kind of the head honchos on this project. That's what yeah. I could see. There was, there was a huge uh, pool of um, people adjacent to Nick Kroll. Um, as well as just, I guess, probably other comedians that were fans of Mel Brooks yeah. that wanted to do something in it. I bet. Like, I mean, if Mel Brooks asks you to uh, to do something, like, why the heck not? I mean, other than his musicals, this is like the only chance these comedic performers have ever really had to be in, in a Brooks movie, you know, yeah. or in a Brooks project at all. Yeah. Like Seth Rogen, who's now been doing comedy for, you know, uh, pretty much two decades right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. He, uh finally getting you know uh, not that that's something he's probably been yearning for but like you know if you are this titan of kind of comedy and uh this kind of whole comedic voice in the industry and like you get a chance to do a mel brooks project like why the heck not same with taiko oh, yeah. and who's like you know always seems down to play ball with anything but it is wild to me that like this film this very high caliber filmmaker just coming in to do this bit the human brain is the most exquisite machine ever built. And I'm here to help you explore it. Hello. I am Sigmund Freud, and this is my mommy class. <laughs> Master class! What? I will give you the tool. It was yeah. really hilarious in the role, and like, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean of just like, kind of waiting of like oh what's gonna be the fun cameo this time but yeah i feel i feel like that was like a ton of my fun experience with the show and why i kept coming back to episodes i mean just naming off some of the i mean i got the list of just like everybody who showed up in here you know you had the the regular guys you know your ike baron holzer nick kroll Mm -hmm. wanda sykes but you also got you know edgar blackman jb smooth kim whitley uh pamela adlon tim baltz zazie beats Richard Kind, Tyler James Williams, Seth Seth Morris, Johnny Knoxville, James Adomian, 
Jack Black, Malcolm Barrett, Rob Corddry, Preston Lacey, Brock O'Hearn, Chris Pontius. Don't recognize those <laughs> names, but I'm sure I'd recognize Casey Wilson, John mm-hmm. Daly, Gil Oziri, just Comedy Bang Bang alum over here. Yeah. Uh, Drew Tarver also. Mm-hmm. Then you got James A- Jason Alexander popping in, Jillian Bell, Darcy Carden, Danny DeVito, David Duchovny, Josh Gad, uh, Quinta Brunson, Andy Daly, who got a scene with... Jason Matsukas. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like it was a given with Nick Kroll making this that Jason Matsukas was going to show up. Yeah. But I, I loved uh, seeing him in this. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, Jake Johnson, Anna Fabrega, Camille Nanjiani, Mary Holland, Jack McBrayer, Sarah Silverman, Sam Richardson, Seth Rogen, Taika Waititi, of course, Jason Matsukas, James Urbaniak, Fred Armisen, Will Sasso. Goodness, the the list just keeps going. Rob Riggle, Bobby Lee, Joe Latruglio, Eugene Cordero, Ken Marino, Carl Tart. It just keeps going. It, it's crazy to me, yeah. And it, I, I feel like, you know, uh, I, I mean, I wasn't there, but I got to assume a lot of these people were just excited to work on anything kind of Mel Brooks because, I mean, mm-hmm. these are movies that they probably grew up with. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I thought Jack Black, even, even though, like, the whole Russian Revolution thing did lose some steam to me. I, I did really love Jack Black in that. And I think Kroll was was pretty spot on in there with his character. Mm-hmm. He just, I feel like, you know, obviously it feels redundant to say he's good at this style of comedy because he wrote half these sketches. But uh, I, I feel like Kroll was kind of a standout to me in this. As uh, I, I used to watch his sketch comedy show. It was definitely more chaotic than this. Definitely more raunchy, kind of all over the place. But yeah. uh it's great to see him kind of getting, I guess, a bit more balanced of, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, I feel like this this kind of a bit more broad comedy worked a little better for him here, for me at least. Mm-hmm. I could agree. Um, his, his show was mostly hit or miss. Um, when it hit, it was just so absurd that you would think of, like, how did somebody even come up with uh-huh. that insanity? This one's definitely much more... Yeah, um, this it, some of the sketches. It was interesting because some of the sketches really felt like um, trying to appeal to like just a modern sketch comedy, mm-hmm. and then other ones really reminded me of like old fashioned Mel Brooks. Yeah, I thought all of the Civil War stuff was very old fashioned Mel Brooks. Yes, and I thought for, it was great. Would, yeah, for better or worse, like there were there were Civil War bits that kind of were, were drawn on, mm-hmm. but I really loved just the dynamic of, of Tim Baltz and that team, like, uh, working with each other and how, like, vaudevillian they were. Oh, I, yeah. think, I think Tim Baltz, like, just nailed that comedy. Yeah, Tim I feel Baltz like one, one of the more underrated comedic performers. Absolutely. Every, everything he does is hilarious. <laughs> I, I thought uh, the casting of Timothy Simons, who is really good in the show Veep, Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the funniest characters in that show as Abraham Lincoln because he's just he's so freakishly tall and like <laughs> Andy had a top hat that was like three feet tall mm-hmm. and just like the constant jokes there I thought that was fantastic um, yeah I, I thought a lot of the, the Civil War bits were funny it was kind of weird because I'm pretty sure West Virginia was in the Union in real history I was kind of wondering like oh I thought they were part of the South I can't remember no, no. Uh, that was uh yeah, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that's but really I, I, funny. And that was another point of contention I was trying to figure out because, like, I felt like with Wanda Sykes, she was actually trying to 
find a little bit of real history and like add comedy to it. And then like other sketches were kind of just it doesn't matter we're doing just a comedy ignore the fact that it takes place in history you've got the rasputin jackass stuff uh-huh. you've got all of the all of the russian stuff yes. was i thought the jackass thing was hilarious no i'm i'm not i'm not criticizing i'm saying like there's just kind of a disconnect it seemed in terms of what like what it's tone doing they were going for yeah, are they just, how it's satirizing history is it lightly history based mm-hmm. sketch comedy right or is it just um, his, historical accuracy put to humor, like a drunk history yeah. type thing. No, I gotcha. Uh, yeah, I feel like the original movie did have more of a consistency with that, but um, I kind of, I don't know, I feel like the chaos led to uh, the performers and writers just being able to do whatever they wanted. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, I, what it was. But it was definitely a roll of the dice, sketch to sketch. I feel like I knew going into every episode, like, I'm gonna laugh a couple times at this, you know? Yeah. Like, there might be some sketches that are just really cringe, like where that telephone one went. I feel like oh, I, I didn't yeah, really work on me. There was yeah. a handful of like just kind of really rough ones. Yeah. But uh, but then there were like you know uh, the literal pyramid scheme with Fred Armisen. Th- that was fantastic. <laughs> there was yeah. uh, just a lot of like highlights in every episode that like make me like I genuinely yeah. would go check it out day one if they actually make another season. Yeah, and even towards the end of the season when I was getting kind of worn out you know like there were there were moments i really enjoyed you know like i, I liked the uh the whitewashing of history scene with all the bishops yes. from the state yeah the ken marino and joe latuga yeah, yeah. david wayne i thought that one was funny ah yeah the j man that's why we're all here right i loved him loved him, loved him. he was yeah. great great yeah totally really good to be honest there was something a little off about him oh yeah he wasn't totally relatable to me personally mm. yeah say more his whole thing is being good and fair, right? So maybe, like, he should be fair and fair-skinned? Hmm. I just want to make sure I'm uh, getting this right. You want Jesus to be white? Huh. No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't you put words in my mouth, lady. <laughs> I wasn't thinking that at all, but now that you say it... I didn't say it. I do think that would be... Worth trying. I think it really makes a lot of sense. I, I liked little bits that would pop up throughout. Uh, Ana Fabrega, she's on this um, Spanish language comedy uh-huh. produced by Fred Armisen called um, Los Spookies. Oh, and I've never seen that. I heard it's good. Very funny show. It's like probably one of the most absurdist comedies out there right now. Okay. But, anyways, um, yeah, she's like one of the showrunners on that. And I, I really liked her. Uh, it was, she was. Uh, it was at the start of one episode. She just popped in to be a sacrificial version. She's like, oh, yeah, no. That's right. Yeah. I, I really liked her take on that. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's like all these one-off little bits I thought was really amusing. The parts that um, I thought were the least funny were like the uh, the TikTok jokes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The ongoing TikTok jokes were pretty much, eh. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it, it happens here and there. I'll see, like, you know, it's older person try and kind of make a uh, society joke and it, it doesn't seem like they fully understand kind of the context. I don't know. It just, it makes it seem really kind of like separated from what they're making fun of. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. It, it wasn't bad enough to really push me away. And yeah, you mentioned the Shirley, uh, Shirley stuff, not having, yeah, the, the not being like super comedic, not, not, uh, 
make it make it not working to be like a long form thing. And yeah, yeah. I kind of agree, but I, I do think like it, it, I think like you mentioned, historically, it, it was an interesting kind of thing for, uh, for Wanda Sykes to kind of educate people on. And, and like, yeah. I, I think it was on paper, a really fun idea of like taking these really over the top seventies sitcom scenarios and put it with this very grounded character yeah, and the, the I thought the funniest bits there were whenever they were just like, "You're gonna do that," and then they would be like, "That actually happened," <laughs> mm-hmm. or something like that. I liked Colton Dunn in that a lot. I think he did a good job of being like the bad oh, husband. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, but yeah, I, I've I, been a fan I, of him I, ever since his uh, or the, the Animal Control. That's right. Parks yeah, in Parks yeah. and Rec. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he was hilarious with, with Harris Whittles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like we could just dive in and go through every sketch here, but uh, I, I guess we should move on and do some segments. Um, Let's do some segmundo. Segments! So, I guess uh, if if we didn't already explain this, I don't think we did. Yeah, we're, we're, we're changing format up again. Why not? You know, let's get wacky with it. And we're going back to uh, what we did a few seasons ago, where this is just one big episode uh instead of split into kind of two parts so now i'm kind of rethinking like so at this point should we do recommendations should we do a little bit more the making of kind of thing or where do we go from here okay um great question i think recommendations if we're gonna do it all in one episode maybe we should throw that out at the end okay that's smart smart so people don't forget and we we maybe should do a little Behind, like, uh, you know, like making of stuff, I guess right here after a big, broad discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that we've kind of, like, talked about our feelings, or our broad feelings, let's learn a little bit more about how the movie was made. Slash yeah. maybe the TV show. I don't know what you researched. Um, There's not much on either. Well, I'm sure there's plenty on the original if, if I were to go in a deep dive of, like, interviews with mm-hmm. Mel Brooks. But you really get the gist from uh, just this one quote from him, uh, like in regards to the inspiration for the film. Um, uh, Quote Mel Brooks, uh, I was walking across the parking lot at 20th Century Fox on my way to my office when one of the grips who had worked on high anxiety shouted to me from the back of a moving truck, hey Mel, what's next? Planning a big one? From out of the blue, the biggest title I could think of popped into my mind, yes. The biggest movie ever made. It's called (laughs) History of the World. Someone else on the truck yelled, how can you cover the whole world in one movie? You're right, I shouted. Maybe I'll call it History of the World Part One. That's that's how that movie came about. It feels very Brooksy and I love it. It does. I appreciate it. Yeah, and then as for the the sequel, a lot of it's uh, mentioned. The Hulu came to him, asked to uh, make a follow-up and... Just like he says in the first episode, um, you know, like no direct sequel or like uh, no no follow up or redo of um, previously done sketches. And uh, and then I don't know how, how true that is. It, it is. But, yeah, he wanted he wanted to look exactly like he did in the Which original was was not I, I feel like, like he looked in the it original. set me it set the tone for me in a really fun way that I wasn't expecting. Of like him kind of, yeah, uh, making fun of the de-aging makeup and stuff in movies. A little, like a slight jab at Hollywood, but just like, you know, using the tool to be funny as heck. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it worked on me. I didn't expect to see like ripped 
young uh, Mel Brooks. <laughs> it, it was delightful. Somebody named Hulu to make a sequel. I had two conditions. One, they had to make me look exactly how I did in 1981. And here I am, exactly what I looked like. Who knew there were muscles here? Going back to how the original came about, I'd like to throw in a little uh, wrinkle in Ooh. the potential history of how the title came about. Okay. A wrinkle um, in so, time? No. No, that doesn't really tie into this. No. No. A wrinkle in history. In the page of the book of history. So there is a there is a um, enormous book by uh, historian Walter Raleigh. Okay. Who and um, it's titled The History of the World. It was intended to be published in several volumes, but only the first volume was ever completed. And so some suggest that that's the origin of the History of the World Part 1 film. Ah. Okay. Because it's a joke on how the actual historical book, History mm. of the World, was only the only, only the first volume was released. Right. Buy that, I'm down. I'd buy that too. I kind of I, I kind of go with Mel Brooks's own recounting because it's just more amusing. But at the same time, it I think it works both ways. I almost wonder if he came up with it and then uh, and then afterwards found out about the history book. He's like, oh yeah, that works too. But that I, happens I a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like so much like kind of smart things said about movies are just by critics later on, <laughs> and then yeah. filmmakers kind of pretend like, oh yeah, sure, yeah, I definitely thought of that. The part one was kind of a dud in theaters it opened the same weekend as raiders of the lost ark and clash of the titans yeah that's tough oh that'll do it um and that's a tough weekend (laughs) yeah it was it finished fourth behind raiders clash as well as cheech and chong's nice dreams yeah i'm not gonna lie i would have probably seen like raiders like three times rather than going to see a new mel brooks as much as i love mel brooks yeah i know right but would you have rather seen cheech and chong's nice dreams i think that's weird how that one that one beat it that's yeah. that's interesting. I mean, the first one, sensation, and this was yeah. the second, right? Or is this the third Cheech and Chong movie? Nice dreams. Uh, nice dreams. I I don't even I think that's the second. One. Oh no, next movie third. was the this is a third. Okay, yeah, that's that's rough. That's, they should have done yeah. some more marketing for History of the World. That's yeah. A, um, that said, with a per screen average of ten thousand dollars, it was his highest opening on a per screen basis. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, but finishing fourth back in '81, it sounds terrible now, but that was actually really good back. Well, yeah, there then. were a lot of more butts and seats at movies. There back were more then. butts mm-hmm. and seats, more movies. All the butts. And uh, and so it actually started off moderately strong for, you know, uh, for what it was competing against. But it kind of bombed afterwards because there was really poor word of mouth Mm -hmm. that uh, caused a pretty quick decline afterwards. The following weeks didn't really have much of a big following. A lot of people were saying, "Eh, it's not as good as his others. Don't go see it. Yeah, exactly. I hate to agree with that, but I definitely see why. It didn't grab uh, and blow away audiences. Yeah, and yeah, critics were really mixed on it. A few people were saying, "Yeah, it's okay." Some people were saying it's absolutely awful. Siskel loved it. Ebert thought it was okay. Uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times really didn't like Mm -hmm. it. The New Yorker was positive on it. Variety was not. Washington Post just kind of gave it a. An entertaining mismatch of skits which finds Mel Brooks in lively form for better or worse. Hmm. Leonard Maltin hated it. Leonard Maltin's but that guy uh, hates aggressive a lot of little things. guy. Yeah. I, I recently 
uh, I saw a screening of Gremlins 2 in, in theater uh, on a film print, and I had kind of forgotten about the Leonard Malton wrangling that the Gremlins do. It's a great, great in-joke there. I feel like in real life, maybe uh, some Gremlins at some point should have gone to Leonard Malton's house and maybe uh, told him a thing or two <laughs> Yeah, I, about I, maybe I, enjoying something. You guys that always rub me the wrong way. It used to just, what do they call it, photobomb, you know, when you're trying to watch Star Wars. It's like, yeah. I'm just trying to watch these three classic films and enjoy them, but there's a 20-minute long interview with Leonard Maltin at the start of it. Yeah, and then there was that oh, that's not cool. combined with, um, here's a story for the audience. When I was in high school, I worked at the local news station and for the morning show. And one of the things that was going on around Christmas time was Leonard Maltin was doing a like a video feed tour. Mm-hmm. He was like popping in on just like uh, lo- local news stations doing like a super five second mini interview recommending Christmas movies to like just all different local news stations. Okay. And so he popped into ours. Like and, in person? Um, uh, on video oh, feed. Okay. Oh, okay. I got you, man. Yeah, just the, the news anchors were talking to him via live video. That's wild. And he was, and, and he recommended some French Christmas film all in French mm-hmm. for a local news studio with a bunch of local people who don't have much of a taste for uh art film and uh and then the anchor was just like you know you know which christmas movie i really love it's uh christmas vacation mm-hmm. and letterman looked looked at him with like he kind of squinted and gave like <laughs> this like disgusted look on his face and he's like oh well you should really check out this this french movie and then like hung up and it was just like what just happened? <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my god. It goodness. was kind of funny, but I was just like it stumped the Malton. He just yeah, he 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 really wanted to push that French Christmas film that I'm sure was good. I mean, I'm sure it's a great. I'm sure it's an amazing movie. But it's just like wrong audience, but Did you ever actually watch that French movie? I don't even remember what it's called. Le Christmas. Le Christmas c'est poupon. Oh, did you hear me? Yes. We we heard you ask about the movie. Yeah. I didn't hear your response. And then we said like response. Oh yeah. De poupon. I asked if you watched it though. It, but I said I don't know what it's called. How could I watch oh, it? Oh, I couldn't. I'm sorry. You can cut that all out, Ryan. I'm so sorry. This is Discord problems, everyone. When you're looking for your internet connectivity chat room to do your podcast with, stray no further than Discord. If you want seamless, you know, uh, cuts in and out. <laughs> you know, if you want to be frozen in time while you're trying to talk to your friends on the PCAST. It's true. Go no further than Discord for problems on air. <laughs> yeah. All right, Will, back to you. Yes. I got nothing. Okay, uh, I'm, uh, that story ended. That um, story ended. I yeah, forgot so, yeah, where we were at. Critical response was kind of a mess is what I was getting at. Yeah, not the biggest gem in the Brooks collection, but uh, a fun watch either mm-hmm. way. Uh, it's yeah. some unique bits. Like I probably definitely most known for what, you know, we already quoted the, you know, uh, it's great to be king. Uh, you're definitely most known for that line. I remember um, I remember someone at a camp I worked with would always like uh, say that the movie sucked except for the 15 commandments drop or 10 commandments. <laughs> yeah. Which was a, a lot very, of people quote that. Yeah. Very funny bit as it's well. A bit. It's a very quotable. Yeah. A little bit. Can I just say that I, I want to give props to Mel. I mean, he he needs props for many things, <laughs> but he, he's very good at putting in the ambiance of whatever like time period he's trying to do so i i just i always find that really cool 
that he also tries to envelop the time period, even if it's just like a skit movie kind of, which it was pretty good pretty much at the scene. And I just find that really cool because not everyone does that. Visually, aesthetically, it, it uh, very much tried to emulate uh, the epic three hour. Yeah, films like the Bible the, movies. Yeah. I guess Bible that's what movies. I kind of meant. It, it also had a Stanley Kubrick parody at the start. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there was and, so much uh, like movie parody in this as well. Like it's kind of a good blend of history, but history through the eyes of cinema, kind of. Yeah. And then there was yeah, slight nods at what was yeah really going on. I, I, I it just now rem- popped into my head, but I really enjoyed the uh, indoor plumbing salesman. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I thought that was great. Like that's kind of what I meant. I, I just meant he he was. It was very cool to see kind of a uh, like the set design of uh, the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. Uh, that oh, was yeah. True, yeah. absolutely incredible. Just the set design part, but also the, the skit itself. And I love all the, the visual gags that are just inherent in a Mel Brooks movie, no matter what. Even when Mel Brooks is not like on top tier level of Brooks, like there's still just every composition is ripe with visual goofs. Like when we're first put into uh, ancient Rome and there's just like a Victorian house in the background for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, I feel like every, almost every shot is, is kind of ripe with lots of stuff like that, that is something that I, I feel like a, a little devoid of in, uh, in a lot of modern comedies I'm seeing. Cause they're just not this style of comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very unique showmanship style. And even though like the new show has a lot of little bits like that, unfortunately it just doesn't have this kind of budget uh, like the movie did to be yeah. able to really... Oh, no go all out with that the the show like it looks what was really creative and uh did a, a good job of kind of like making their budget work yeah, but it uh like it was pretty very high clear tv show that yeah. uh yeah there was some bits that like i'm like oh yeah, this is a sketch show for sure <laughs> like the yeah. world war ii them all throwing up like it looked like they were Ooh, in a room yeah. it looked more like that they was... were in a room than an actual like uh i forget what those ships are called those like duck vehicles yeah no i agree but still a, a pretty a, a functional bit. I, I laughed a lot at that one. As gross mm-hmm. as it got. It, it's kind of cool seeing a little bit of like Mel Brooks dialogue with this kind of gross out Nick Kroll humor. as a strange uh, strange combination, but kind of worked for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, wait, what uh shit? What else should we talk about? I forget what other little bits we do. How do you how do you, okay, here's a here's a quick question though. Yeah. Back on the uh, topic of part two. Out of the uh, the three uh, producers slash writers slash stars of the the sketch show, you know, mm-hmm. you had Wanda Sykes, Nick Kroll, and Ike Barinholtz. Yeah, who was who also really was fun. The, yeah, who do you who do you think was the uh, who do you think won if they were competing? <laughs> I mean, I've, I did really like a lot of Ike Barinholtz bits, but uh... performance wise, I I I'd, I'd probably yeah, I'd probably give it to Ike because I felt like Nick Kroll was going really hard on uh had to throw a goofy voice in i like every time i don't know the I goofy voices it. worked on me more to be honest like i would lean towards nick kroll but okay. uh i did love all three okay i i actually lean towards nick kroll i i i agree with ryan it it did i i did kind of like the extra step he tried to add with the voices just like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure yeah it was it was it was showmanship vaudeville-esque it just made me start to wonder if I had ever heard him not do a goofy voice. It in is any rare. Of his mm-hmm. career. It's very rare. Yeah, it's weird seeing him do stand up because uh, yeah, 
You know, it's it's so much more of like the actual Nick Kroll than I'm used to seeing. But it yeah. felt so Brooksian to me, him doing the Jewish voices, uh, the Russian voice. Like, uh, I, yeah. he, he like literally made me laugh out loud for his like juice and space voice at the <laughs> oh, end. Oh, that was great. Yeah, I forgot about that. That really worked um, on me. And the Wanda and Sykes that. being there as well was a great bit. See Jews in space. Captain Mudman, we're in a bit of a pickle. I know, it's a real half sour. Lieutenant Silverman, give us a status update. I'm single, but looking. Well, we're doing an event in the JCC Saturn this weekend. Ooh. I know there'll be a wonderful guy there for you, but I need a status update on this ship. Oh, I can't operate anything until sundown, which in space, who can tell? Best I do nothing. Yeah, that was great, too. With with Wanda, I kind of just wish she would have shown up in more of the other yeah. sketches. No, I yeah, I wonder if she primarily, like, if the Shirley thing was her baby or if she was kind of, you know, that was just only one she that's, really wanted to be in. That's one of the, yeah, one of the sketches I remember more than any of the other side, but I forgot about it all episode, was the statue salesman scene uh -huh. mm -hmm. when uh, when he's trying to, when he's doing like the bad Tim and Eric style commercial for uh -huh. purchasing statues. And I thought... Whenever she did pop up as like her brother's like wife, mm. and he's like, "I don't talk to my brother," <laughs> and, and then she shows up, and then they do like a combined uh, commercial where now the family's all back together. And they yeah. all start arguing. I thought that was probably one of the funniest little sketches. That was a good in the one. entire little thing, and it, it that one popped. It that one was when I really started thinking hard on like okay so who wasn't a part of this because it was is very Tim and Eric esque mm -hmm. but even though a lot of the comedy bang bang scene was in this a lot of the alt comedy scene was not yeah and and so I was sitting there thinking like okay so who all didn't show up and it just started popping in my head I started listing off names and uh, okay so they weren't in this but they were but they weren't in this but this person was <laughs> yeah the more like anti-humor kind of stuff i feel like maybe what wasn't really as thought of fitting into this i'm not sure yeah i don't know yeah like none of the tim robinson crew That's other true. than yeah. sam richardson sam richardson did show up uh -huh. but but he's he's kind of in a little bit of everything now mm -hmm. I, I did really like the dust bowl bit at the end speaking of like random commercial kind of things <laughs> just for the line oh, yeah. it's just too damn dusty <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was and there great. was one of the weird like there were a lot of like just strange bits in that last episode like when we're doing the the kind of overdrawn out teddy roosevelt thing the where it went at the end with and the president's personal trainer neville was just that old dude <laughs> that was like almost a little tim and erica anti-humor to me just like that straight yeah. strange old man and him yeah. just awkwardly being like yeah yeah i killed a lot of australians <laughs> just really awkward <laughs> yeah. it's like one of the highlights of the episode to me that's true i forgot about that that and, and the jesus movie trailer insistence on playing the actual Back in Black yeah. by ACDC. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love that they actually got a licensed song there, like, uh, to make it feel even more like a bad trailer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess we could do our thoughts on how has the 1981 movie aged here? Because that's a conversation for sure. There yeah, were a lot of really kind of... Yeah, cringy jokes there yeah. in that one. Oh yeah, it was probably yeah a lot. A lot of his don't fare as bad as this one. Yeah, definitely <laughs> one of, one of the more homophobic uh, Mel Brooks movies. Sadly, yeah. And I, I you know, I'll just kind of talk that up to the time. 
but uh and maybe the kind of the style of comedy he was going for i'm not sure and maybe because it, it felt like he was going more hard r with this one than uh yeah some of his previous endeavors kind of even though mm-hmm. blazing saddles was an r it uh it definitely doesn't feel as much like a kind of r-rated comedy as this it one was, does it's kind of yeah uh and then thinking thinking about that now it's kind of funny like if you talk about blazing saddles with a lot of people especially older people mm-hmm. their like favorite phrase about that movie is oh i couldn't get made today and i mean yeah it probably couldn't but Maybe. that's I like their, i don't i don't know either i i kind of disagree with that mm-hmm. too but what but this one would definitely have to be, yeah, made very differently yeah. as it was in a sequel series. But yeah, like I, uh, I'm curious if there were any moments or in anything particular that stood out to you guys here. For how has it aged? There's a couple, definitely a couple lines. Uh, yeah, pretty much a lot of the Roman sequences yeah. were kind of rough. The entire, the entire character of the 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 female lead. In the Roman sequence, it's just who is this lady? She has no characterization other than somehow she's now fallen for Mel Brooks, yeah. who's like forty years older than her. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, this this more than maybe any Mel Brooks movie I've seen feels very like I'm gonna make myself a hero kind of thing. I'm gonna make myself like the sexy, charismatic lead in a lot of these situations, and that was strange to me. Like as yeah. someone who's usually just kind of. Using as himself as like a punching bag. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh six years later, he uh yeah. He uh he plays the really gross looking yogurt. Yeah. And yeah. Yogurt's really a bit more lovable, but like President yeah. Scroob just kind President of Scrooge. you know, a, a, a punching bag. Like he's just there for you yeah, to make fun punching of. Punching bag oh, yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah, the um the cartoonish uh you know, homosexual, like I would say coded character who's like kind of there running the show in um dom de caesar's palace at some point it just breaks the whole like even subtlety and uh and our main character just call calls him like the f f word slur multiple yeah. times i think and, but I, I was enjoying like the over the topness of that you know character until then but that, that was a little much but you know different different era i think there were kids movies at the time that even would just kind of throw that word around but yeah it felt a little mean yeah um I, I think y'all hit the biggest notes. I, I don't think that the uh, lead lady, she had much of a character in the, the French Revolution either. She was just... No, the French Revolution was kind of... She was yeah. just there. And uh, you, you hit the note with the, the homosexual jokes. They they were even a little bit in also the... the I don't know that it... There were notes where that, that were kind of cringy. And I was like, oh, we're going we're gonna to do that, Mel? You sure about that? <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with y'all. I don't think I don't think I can think of any others. I'm sure there are others, but those yeah, were the yeah, biggest ones, I would say. Definitely kind of ripe with that, yeah. The ones that are basically in your face, not not uh, even subtle. Sadly, this isn't my most recommendable Mel Brooks movie, and like from the ones I've seen, I don't know if I would put this like bottom of the list, but it'd be far from the top. Despite the fact that, like, I did enjoy the watch, and uh, I, I did enjoy a handful of bits, and I, I enjoy seeing him have kind of a big, a bigger budget like this movie had compared to some of the stuff like High Anxiety or Silent Movie or stuff like that. Like, it felt like a big epic and a fun kind of spoof on the epic, but um, 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I just think it, it wasn't the best of his offerings, and it was a little kind of deaf to, uh, to a lot of what, what, what it was even saying. Yeah, no, I agree. But a fun ride, though, nonetheless. Yeah. A little late, though. It, I feel like if it would have came out amidst all these big epics, it might have even done better. Like if it would have been an early 70s, late 60s kind of thing. Yeah, I could do yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like uh, that's kind of Mel Brooks, though. Yeah, I'm just kind of stuck he in. Made, uh, he made High Anxiety a good 10 years after Alfred Hitchcock's final <laughs> that's you know, true. big movie. He made Spaceballs. Three years after Return of the yeah, Jedi. Like a decade after Alien. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, that's just kind of Mel Brooks. He made silent movie in the 70s. He'll get to it, you know. <laughs> and now he's so making he a show, two. you know. Yeah, he's making it like 30 years after, uh, you know, for what, 40 years, something like that. He's a little late, but he always shows up. Yeah, wow. 40, yeah, 42 years. It's crazy, though, that this did happen, though, that he got to make this show. It really is. This spiritual sequel. And, like, that it's actually... I was kind of surprised when I found out about it. I was just like, but the part one is a joke. Why would they make a part two? I did think I, that, yeah. but, I mean... That's true. It did kill the joke a little bit, but, I, to be fair, I kind of think the show's better than the movie. And, uh... It kind of is. I'm kind of glad that it exists. Just as I would be interested in seeing... An edit of it of as like a, a feature length edit, yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting. Cool. Kind of trim around, just make it like kind of a laugh riot nonstop. Yeah, I think it could be really good. Yeah, I would watch that. But yeah, I think I'm glad that I watched them both. So what, what, do, what do you guys think? Uh, what would be your recommendation for something with the same vibe? Uh, you know, I'm kind of at a loss, to be honest. I, I was just going to recommend another Mel Brooks, but at the same time, it doesn't hit the same way. If you really liked this movie, I mean, yes, it, it, it's still Mel Brooksy. if you watch another Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> um, but it, it wouldn't, it, it's kind of different than his other ones, I would say. In a way, mm. um, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do what I just said, and I'm gonna <laughs> recommend a Mel Brooks movie because huh? I can't think of anything else. Unless you just want to watch Tim and Eric, that's that too. I'll just recommend Tim and Eric. That's what I'm doing. Why not? Just watch Tim and Eric, y'all. Yeah. You know, just for the sake of uh, kind of self plugs here, and because I feel like we've talked about two movies that are kind of what this is in uh, you know maybe better ways. Um, we we did an episode on Life of Brian, the Monty Python movie, which I think yeah. also satirizes these epic biblical movies, just like this whole Roman section does. And I think it does it a little bit better. It's also kind of a sketch movie. It has much more of a through line, but uh, the through line is a, a little bit of an excuse to get to these kind of different mini sketches. And the Kentucky Fried movie, which also has some bits that did not age well but is through and through like a sketch movie and uh, and kind of like just jabs at the times that uh, it's coming from. I, th- I think it was similar on that one. I think I, I liked that one a bit more than you did, Will, but uh, I think it, it's still worth a watch if you really enjoyed History of the World and like this just kind of era of these sketch movies. It's, it's more of a 70s movie than this, but uh, I, I think it's where they're both worth watching if you haven't. Okay. 
I'm going to go weird with it. Yeah, I'm going to go weird with it because most of the cast shows up in this. And um, it's different in terms of there's no historical comedy. But it's also sketchy. And I'm pretty sure we've recommended it before, but I don't care. Um, I'm going to recommend the comedy Bang Bang TV series. Oh, heck That's yeah. a good choice. Most most of the cast shows up in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's also kind of just a sketch show. Like, there's always a plot for each episode, but within that, it's kind of just sketch bits. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. And uh, it's it's very funny. Uh, if if you in, enjoy the and Nick Kroll regular on that for sure and yeah. pretty much like you said everyone Tim Baltz writer and performer on that like yeah, yeah Drew definitely Tarver, Reggie Watts Paul Rust was in this yeah he was in that yeah Bill I feel like Zary, uh, Darcy Carden I think shows up Jason Mansukas Andy Daly Seth Perry Rogen Holland. probably yeah yeah Seth Rogen was in an episode yeah I feel like even all... the big names yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be surprised if Jack Black was in there at some I point think... like yeah think he was i think it was really short though i could be wrong but also very emblematic of this generation of comedy that like brooks teamed up with yeah for this which is funny to me that like i don't know they did that generationally to brooks these are the young folk but like these guys (laughs) are like in their 40s now yeah these guys this is yeah much more of a cameos for Generate um, the millennial generation. Yeah, it is cameos for Gen Z. But yeah, I think those are all great recommendations. And I, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else we need to do before we wrap up this episode of the Bang Bang. No, let's do it. Let's let's. Wrap. I think as a little teaser though, we had talked about uh, behind the scenes doing a Kevin Smithathon kind of thing do next. It. And yeah, I guess is that what we want to do? What are we doing? Sure. I mean, that's three episodes. Knock it out. Talking about the three clerks, yeah, one, two, and three. Each yeah, one, one let's episode get a piece. Really wacky and really like you know pseudo film dork, and uh, we're we're gonna go through all three clerks movies. Are we the clerks? And like I feel like it's impossible to do that without talking about how they fit within Kevin Smith's whole career. And so this is gonna be a whole damn conversation every time. I feel like I'm gonna go along for all of these, but uh, yeah, I'm excited. We'll see. Okay, doke. So yeah. Hop back in next time for that. And I guess, as always, you could check out our social medias at Twitter, at Facebook. We're just at GagRealPod. Or if you want to write us an email, that's GagRealPod at gmail.com. Or we have a website called GagRealPod.com. So please reach out to us. And we got a phone number that we don't give out, but yet Duty Williams somehow <laughs> seems to keep going. He's our, he's our favorite fan. He, he made us uh-huh. some merchandise. He made us a T-shirt. Yeah, don't. Yeah. We're not associated with that T-shirt, if you see it. Out. No. It's not ours. Yeah. He spelled gag wrong. But it looks wrong. Like How do you do that? <laughs> but, as always, have a dang good time and take it easy. Peace out. Rock and roll, y'all. At this hour, Diana. Okay, uh, Dr. Kaufmanberg, you want to... Uh... I know, I know. I go first. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. It's the most powerful Jewish person in the universe, Jesus Christ. Well, the second most powerful. Also, I brought cream cheese. Oh! Oh, he looks so good!